Andrew, thank you so much. And hi, everybody. Good evening. Thanks all for being here. Uh, as Andrew alluded to, the Pac-12 CEO group unanimously approved today a seven-game conference-only football season that will start November 6th. They also approved the return of men's and women's basketball with a November 25th start date, which is in line with the NCAA's previous recommendations. So before we dive into some of the specifics and details, I'd like to start with an opening statement from you, Commissioner Scott. So Larry, I know there's been so much that has been done to get to this point. Can you give us a little bit of context as to how we got here and a, and a high level view of what came out of today's CEO meeting? Certainly, thank you, Ashley. Yeah, certainly delighted for so many people that uh, were able to announce uh, the resumption of play following our decision back in August to postpone. And this has been the result of uh, what we said back in August, that we'd follow the science, follow the data, follow the advice from our, our medical experts, and that we know how badly our student athletes want to compete uh, as student athletes for the Pac-12, but that we, we would only do so when we felt that we could do so safely. And uh, this has been a team effort. Um, you know, I want to commend uh, our presidents and chancellors uh, who have been very measured and thoughtful and cautious in our approach, always with student athlete health and welfare in mind. Uh, we've worked very closely on calls almost every day uh, with our athletics directors, regular contact with coaches, and importantly, a lot of feedback along the way from our student athletes. Um, I also want to thank the state and local public health authorities uh, that uh, we partnered with and was a very important uh, piece of this. Um, only being able to move forward in a way that is consistent uh, with our public health authorities uh, approvals and permission. That's been a critical piece of this along the way. And I just wanna express my appreciation on behalf of the whole PAC-12 conference uh, for them working with us um, uh, on this. Um, you know, we, um, a couple of weeks ago, we announced a major breakthrough for us, which was access to daily testing, which was a critical factor to our medical advisory board uh, being comfortable. Uh, that twinned with how the pandemic uh, has receded in some of our markets and, and greater comfort and efforts that we've committed to on the cardiac issues. Um, all, the, all these things uh, really progressed in a material way, uh, in a positive way that got us to the point where all of our stakeholders aligned and felt that we could uh, revise our earlier decision. So um, yeah, I just wanna thank everyone that has been involved in getting us to this point. And we're really excited to be able to move to play um, you know, based on local public health authority approvals. And so with that said, uh, President Schill, I'd like to turn to you. Uh, this has been a fluid process, everybody knows since day one. No one really knew what the outcome of today's meeting was gonna be. Can you walk us through some of the concerns that, that you and your peers worked through today in that meeting? And for you personally, what allowed you to finally feel comfortable supporting a return to play just six weeks from now? So thank you, Ashley. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, we had a really good, robust discussion today. And, and the discussion among the presidents and chancellors was largely about the benefits as well as the, the cons of starting in the fall versus starting in January. And we had a really thorough discussion of, of both sets of, of start dates. And it was the consensus uh, opinion that the benefits of starting in the fall uh, were much greater than the benefits of starting in the spring uh, or in the winter rather. So uh, we, we made that decision and, and things changed since the first time 
that we uh, address this issue. One thing that didn't change was our commitment to the health and safety of our students. That's always been paramount, and it is absolutely a value of the Pac-12. But what ended up happening was, uh, over time, our, our medical advisory group, and we have one of them on tonight, it became much more comfortable uh, with our, our plans to resume. And one of the reasons for that was that Commissioner Scott was able to acquire daily testing uh, for our students. So we were much better aid. We didn't have that the first time we voted. And that will allow us to uh, identify if anyone uh, becomes infected and remove them from play before they affect other people or um, end up with a long-term damage if, if that would occur. So that made us very um, much more comfortable. The other thing that changed, as, as Larry said, is state and local localities. There, there was a time, when, at the time of the initial vote, uh, that none of us, that some of us weren't able to play. We wouldn't have been able to play under law in Oregon or in many places in California. That has now changed. And so it permits us to actually contemplate uh, competing as a, uh, as a conference. The vote was unanimous. It was a collegial, wonderful conversation. Let me just say one thing it was not about, okay? The media sometimes talks about, or social media sometimes talks about, that, we, that the conference is doing things because of money. This has nothing to do with money. It was never once mentioned as a consideration. The losses that our schools are encountering, and in particular, our athletic departments, are huge. The amount of money that will be paid uh, as a result of going back to play is tiny in comparison with the losses. It had no effect on our decisions. And I appreciate the perspective. And just to follow up on, on a couple of your points, President Shell, I know throughout this process, you've spent a lot of time talking with students and student athletes. So what was the biggest thing that you took from them or learned from them over those conversations over the past several weeks? So yeah, it was, it was, it was actually really important. So we had thought maybe we would vote last week and we decided not to. And the reason we decided not to was we wanted to go back and talk with our students. We wanted to go back and talk with our faculty and staff as well as our boards. And I did that. I met with about five or six different groups. And I'll tell you the group that is most in my mind is the two groups of student athletes that I met with. Um, and they were so desirous of going back to practice and play. This is something that they dream of. This is something that they want for their future. And this is something that they have been deprived of. And COVID-19 has taken so much away from these students. We didn't want, I didn't want making my vote. I didn't want to take this away from them. And so if I could feel comfortable with their health and their safety, that we weren't jeopardizing it, then to give them this ability to fulfill their dreams was something that I felt I should vote in favor of. All right. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that perspective. Dr. Ackerman, the Medical Advisory Board obviously has led the way every step of the way. That's been pointed out numerous times. President Schill, of course, alluding to some of the data that made the CEOs feel comfortable moving forward. What's important in your mind for people to understand about the science and the data and where we are now relative to where we were six weeks ago when you, know, you and the Medical Board recommended that we put everything on hold? 
Yeah, I mean, the medical board has obviously made all of its recommendations and guidelines based off of the science and the discussion with the experts that we have in, in, in consultants in terms of sports cardiology, infectious disease. And it's important to note that the public health people that we've included in our group and and we've been able to really involve individuals that are not tied to athletic departments and even individuals that are not even tied to the university. So we've been able to really have a broad breadth and viewpoints. And, and when we felt it wasn't safe, we felt it, there was too many risks, we were willing to step forward and say we needed to pause. And, you know, the advent of, of the daily testing and the advent of our ability to get PCR backbone testing back quickly along with the antigen testing, to ensure that when our student athletes step on the court or on the field for practice, that the chances of them spreading COVID to one another diminishes. We can't take it to zero, but it certainly mitigates it. And it makes the other risks that we are concerned about um, in terms of, of cardiomyopathy, something that we can help manage because we can identify those who may be at risk of, of having COVID and spreading it and removing them so that they don't spread it to their, their, their peers and their teammates. Um, and, and so all of that in place really made, it, made us feel more comfortable that we could manage this in a safe manner and make the recommendation that, that we could move forward. And from a medical standpoint, have you or we learned anything from the other conferences in the schools that are, you know, two to three weeks into their football seasons? Is there data sharing or observations about spread that have helped inform how you guys are moving forward? Sure. We, we certainly talk with our peers um, and, and both formally and informally, and, and there is information sharing. I, I wouldn't say that it's changed any of our uh, decision making. We made our decisions based off of the science and off the experts in our group um, and what we felt was right for the health and safety of our student athletes and put that as, as the only guiding principle for us in terms of making recommendations. All right, and Ray, I definitely want to bring you in now. I, there are some people I think that would consider the Pac-12's decision process throughout all of this slow. Some would call it smart and methodical. I know you've been in communication with parents and student athletes throughout this entire process. So from your standpoint, what context would you want to add about how this entire pro process has unfolded? Well, I got to tell you, the collaboration and alignment uh, of the uh, folks in this conference since day one has been uh, extraordinary. Uh, and from the very beginning, our beacon was going to be the health and safety of our student athletes, uh, including the mental health and safety. Uh, and so uh, Commissioner Scott, uh, the presidents, the chancellors, uh, the ADs, our football coaches, our ops people, and certainly our medical folks uh, were going to be uh, relentless in terms of protecting the, the, the interests of our student athletes. Uh, and we just weren't going to deviate from that. And so I think the uh, uh, collaboration and alignment to do the right thing. Uh, and then what was also very, uh, I think, robust in our process was the constant communication. Uh, uh, I love my AD colleagues, and, and we spoke ad nausea. Uh, and then our medical advisory group, led by Dr. Ackerman, uh, was consistently available for Zoom calls uh, with student athletes. Uh, and coaches uh, and, and uh, personnel to engage and educate about what was evolving in this very, as you said, Ashley, fluid and unpredictable situation. So the fact that we could stay aligned and collaborate and also communicate across the board, I think it kept all of us 
much more calm and confident that we would get to the right outcome. Uh, and so today's breakthrough uh, uh, is really great news for our student athletes, uh, uh, their parents, uh, our fans, uh, but it's a real testament to the way this conference worked from the very beginning with regard to collaboration and communication for the best interest, student athlete health and safety of Pac-12 student athletes. And so I'm, I'm very uh, pleased to tell you on behalf of all the athletic directors, it took us a while. It was deliberate. It was thoughtful and at times exhaustive, but that was necessary to do the right thing. And I think we're here today. You know, Ray, and I know a lot of people, so many people are really excited about today's news. Can I ask, were you able to break the news to Herm and what, what was his reaction? Well, uh, Gene Boyd, our uh, uh, general manager, our deputy athletic director is hand in glove with Herm. Uh, and so I gave him uh, the, the joy of delivering that news personally. Uh, I'll get a chance to talk to Herm a little later uh, this evening. But uh, Gene and the football working group uh, have, have, have worked diligently to try to, uh, on the football part of it, obviously the basketball folks have done likewise on the men's and women's size and across the Olympic sports. Uh, but in terms of football, Gene uh, Boyd had the uh, pleasure of notifying Herm, and I'm sure he's still jumping up and down uh, in his office somewhere. I can feel the enthusiasm all the way over here. Uh, I know there's a lot of media questions, and we'll get to go those in just one second. I have one last one for the, the commissioner. From a big picture standpoint, looking towards the end of the season, the Pac-12 championship game is scheduled for December 18th, which is the pretty much the day before the other Power Five conferences will play their championship games. Do you believe, Larry, that a 7-0 Pac-12 champ would or should be included in the CFP as it's currently set up? Yeah, our school is going to have the opportunity to be in the conversation, have every opportunity. Uh, we've regularly discussed this at the CFP Management Committee. You know, there's no minimum number of games, and I think we're all very humbly going into the season realizing there could be disruptions along the way. In fact, our fellow conferences have built that into their schedules with bye weeks, and we've seen it play out over the first, uh, first few weeks. So no one knows how many games they're going to get in. It's going to be a challenge for the committee this year. They're going to have more subjectivity than they've ever had in terms of different schools with different number of games, player availability, uh, other different conditions to contend with. But that's why we've got a committee of uh, you know, 13 you know, very diverse experts that are going to weigh it all up. But um, yeah, our schools, knowing that we're going to be able to play a meaningful number of games, high-level games, uh, with our championship concluding uh, the couple of days before that final CFP uh, meeting, uh, we absolutely have the opportunity to have a team in the mix for the playoff. And I know our teams and our student athletes are coming back eager uh, to compete for that. Have you had any conversations, Larry, with your fellow conference commissioners, your peers, about expanding the playoff this year or maybe moving it back given all the things at play? Or do you feel pretty good about how it is set up currently? Yeah, we've had a lot of discussion. Um, I think um, uh, there's really no serious momentum or discussion around expansion. Uh, we're committed to the traditional dates, um, but we've wanted to leave it as late as possible, leave as much flexibility as possible, hence the pushing back of that final selection committee meeting on Sunday the 20th, which is later than normal to give leagues as much chance as possible to get as many games in as possible before that final decision uh, has to be played. So I'm not expecting that uh, the dates of the games will move back and we're certainly not discussing expansion at this point. 
All right, Larry, thank you very much. And thank you all. I know there's a lot of uh, media members on the call who do want to ask questions. So I'm going to turn it back over to Andrew Walker to facilitate that. But thank you. Great. Thank you, Ashley. And thank you, all of our participants. We'll now begin the Q&A session. Uh, as a reminder, media can select the raise hand tab at the bottom of your screen in order to be added to the queue. Once selected to ask a question, please be sure to unmute yourself and to identify yourself by full name and media outlet. We've got a question from uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS. Go ahead, Dennis. Uh, make sure you unmute yourself, Dennis. You got it, hear me? Yep, you're good. Okay. Larry, you're part of that um, CFP management committee which decides eligibility protocol, are you saying it just should be the eye test or is there a discussion to be had on some kind of threshold, um, whatever it might be for number of games? Uh, so we've discussed this a few times and um, clearly stated there's no minimum number of games. Right. Uh, there are written protocols. It's, it's well beyond the eye test. Uh, there's many other criteria, as you know. Right, right. Uh, but um, uh, the committee's job will be to pick the four best teams. And this year, there'll just be more divergence in terms of the number of games that have been played, maybe player availability, uh, and other, other uh, subjective differences as well. Uh, but heretofore, we've debated and discussed this on a few occasions and decided there should be no minimum number of games, given so much uncertainty that every one of the leagues is facing in this very unique and challenging year. I've got a follow, if I could. Um... I think it was uh, three weeks ago today or tonight that you guys um, announced the Quidel deal. I, I understand with a lot of this was with local health officials and, and obviously teams couldn't practice, but w was that information leveraged as quickly as it could with those local health officials uh, to get back to play sooner than, uh, you know, sooner than today? Yeah. Uh, thanks. Dennis. Well, I'll answer. And then, I think uh, President Schill or uh, Dr. Ackerman can, can add to this. That was obviously a game changer for us in terms of having access to the testing because our medical advisory committee, given the prevalence of the spread, was recommending daily testing uh, in certain markets. Um, but as President Schill pointed out, and I'll turn it back to him, uh, we still have public health authorities that weren't comfortable in ongoing questions about myocarditis, and other concerns, and our medical advisory committee was tracking the prevalence of the virus, which were the, really the three conditions that were set as to um, why we hit the pause button back in August. So it wasn't as simple as just having access to the tests, but that was the start of our ability to reevaluate and have a new, fresh discussion with public health officials that we weren't able to have before the testing. But I think President Schill was closer to it in terms of uh, the impact of the public health authorities and just how recently we've gotten their blessing. Maybe could add some context to that. Yeah, um, I think that, you know, Larry, you got it exactly right. The, uh, the Cadell test was necessary, but not sufficient in order to get approved uh, to go back to play. We had been working with them continuously um, and you know, we have a host of different issues on our campuses that are public health related right now. Uh, and uh, the Quidel test made it possible to get over that hurdle and to talk seriously about the possibility of going back to um, 
uh, play. And, uh, and I'm delighted that we did it. And I'm really very grateful uh, that our commissioner had the foresight and the ability to make that arrangement with Quidel that gave us that tool. Um, could I ask Dr. Ackerman to also maybe talk about, you know, the concern, the cardiac concerns that his committee is constantly evaluating, checking the prevalence of the virus? Because I know this got a lot of uh, a lot of questions, a lot of considerations as we thought about return to play, Dennis. Sure. I mean, the myocarditis issue was one piece of many, many factors that we were weighing back in the original, um, you know, guideline or recommendation not to move forward. And since then, we have continued to learn more about that. We've learned more um, about the, the prevalence and the published articles on it. We've, we've been able to really critically evaluate that. We've been able to make sure that we have adequate ability to screen and to do thorough workups on our student athletes if they do happen to get COVID. And, and our goal is to not have a bunch of student athletes get infected with COVID. And that's where the testing is really important. But I, I need to remind everybody that we are at a starting point again, and we need to be diligent and we need to continue to monitor um, COVID and the spread of COVID and be willing to, to keep apprised of this and keep in communication with our athletic directors and, and the presidents and CEO group and you know, it, it's not uh, suddenly just all on and without continued monitoring. Yes, uh, can I just jump back in for a second, um, just to emphasize that. So we're moving forward now, but we're not moving forward with our eyes shut. We are going to be paying attention to what's happening. And, you know, if uh, we start getting spikes that suggest that we this is not sustainable, we will just, uh, you know, stop playing. Uh, because again, the value is health and safety of our players in our communities. Great, we've got a question from Heather Dinich of ESPN. Go ahead, Heather. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Okay, so I'm sorry if I missed this, but just to be clear, are there are any other schools besides Colorado right now that can't practice? What's the status of um, Cal and Stanford? Thanks, Heather. Uh, yeah, the, um, there's been a lot of uh, good communication and back and forth with uh, public health authorities um, over the last uh, week on an ongoing basis, over the last months, of course, but over the last week, updates uh, to the guidance. So they're um, exactly when each school can resume practice um, still will need to be cleared between each school and their local public health authority um, you know, in, in, in some of the markets that you mentioned. So we've received um, you know, comfort and clarifications that are very, very helpful, Heather, uh, in terms of uh, the confidence to move forward, but there's still some exact details to work out on a school by school basis, which will be done locally. Great, we've got another question. This one from Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic. Go ahead, Nicole. Yeah, um, Larry, I guess this is for you, but um, within the release, there was an announcement about no fans um, for the time being at athletic events. Would you contemplate 9 a.m. kickoffs or some of the other more creative scheduling options because of that? Thanks for the question, Nicole. Um, yes, um, we, uh, we made it clear 
that there won't be fans at, uh, at any of our events, certainly not during the uh, football season, but like everything, we'll continue to monitor. Um, and um, sorry, what was the other aspect of your question, the second part? Nicole? Uh, go ahead, Nicole. Does anyone else remember the second part of her question? I think I missed some of it, aside from uh, no fans. Uh, okay, wait, sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, sorry about that. I think I'm unmuted again. Yeah. Um, no, I was just asking about 9 a.m. kickoffs oh, and some sorry. of the other creative scheduling ideas you've talked about in the past. Yeah, so you know, we've taken a very measured step-by-step -step approach. We've got a football working group that's worked on some scheduling models, uh, but now very quickly they'll work on a schedule Obviously, we've kept very close communication with our broadcast partners, ESPN and Fox, um, and um, that, that's the next step. So we haven't decided anything in terms of an exact schedule or times that we'll play, but we've got a great working relationship with our partners, and they've been patient and flexible with us. And um, yeah, there are going to be some very exciting broadcast windows for our, for our games, uh, but I think we're still several days away, certainly by next week. We'll clarify an exact schedule, uh, including some details about our broadcast intentions. Great, we've got another question. This one from Billy Witts of the New York Times. Go ahead, Billy. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, this is for um, this is for Michael Schill. Uh, the um, in in the uh, I think there's four. I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to August 11th and what the, you know, the 12 page document that you put out and there in there, there was the, uh, I think it was the Harvard Institute of Global Health um, uh, guidelines about uh, community spread and, you know, anything over 25 cases a day, uh, you know, was, uh, was severe enough that uh, um, it was, uh, I think, term un un uncontrolled spread. And looking at counties where the 12 campuses are, there's four of those that would be above 25% today. And what, I mean, how, can you, can you explain maybe, I guess, how that's maybe not relevant right now, um, you know, in this decision or, or, or how it might, uh, you know, you said you had your eyes open to how, uh, you know, how this thing, um, you know, how the pandemic is uh, ebbing and flowing. The way uh, that, that we are approaching this is there isn't one factor alone that is, or one metric alone that's going to be definitive. It's a series of metrics. And so part of that would be the positivity rate. Part of that would be the number of cases, the ability to do contact tracing, uh, and uh, the, the rate of community spread. So all of those things are going to factor in and have factored in uh, to both this decision today, but going forward. I mean, we're, we remain subject to local public health as well as state public health guidelines, and we will follow them. And if we exceed the level that 
both the state or the county think is appropriate, or alternatively our own judgment, uh, we will have to pull the plug, or what we'll have to do is pause for a while. Um, obviously, in a in a in a seven uh, game uh, season, pausing for a long time means losing a good part of a good part of that uh, season. But again, we're not, these are students, um, and 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 they we have the obligation to protect them, and so we're going to do that. Uh, we we also have the obligation to help them fulfill their ambitions, and just like we have that obligation for all of our students. And so we're, we're balancing both and, and we will continue balancing it all the way through. Just, uh, just a quick uh, follow-up, if I may. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned the uh, money is not part of the equation. If that's so, then why, why wasn't all this effort put into, say, cross-country coming back? Well, cross-country has three different seasons, right? It's all the way through. So cross-country may be coming back. Uh, the... Uh, you know, I think that has not actually been finalized. Uh, the uh, but the and then the other two uh, fall sports, uh, the NCAA has reset the championships for the spring, so they'll be coming back then. So you know, we are looking at equity among the sports is incredibly important. Uh, but football, because it was a fall sport, and and the championship. Uh, game will be taking place. It was likely to be in the fall or the winter, but um, but we we decided to move it. We thought the timing for the fall would be better than necessarily the winter. And Billy, if I could just um, uh, build upon that with today's announcement, uh, in addition to football, men's and women's basketball are going to be able to uh, resume their seasons with the rest of the country on November 25th. And our other winter sports, which include men's and women's swimming and diving, um, women's gymnastics and wrestling as well. So just to be clear, this was a decision about sports in total. This was not a football decision. Great. We've got a question from Ralph Russo of the Associated Press. Go ahead, Ralph. Hi, gentlemen. Um, Two things that are really not related, so maybe Larry or, or Ray can handle the first one. Uh, the seven-game piece of this schedule, um, I don't know if – maybe I missed it in the release. That suggests that there will be some things done on championship weekend. I was wondering if you maybe could uh, elaborate on those details. And then for uh, Dr. Ackerman, maybe when they're done, if you could explain a little bit about how the daily testing um, – helps with the contract contact tracing and will hopefully keep kids out of quarantine because quite frankly that seems to be the thing that's derailing a lot of games so i'm sorry about the two different questions but if you can maybe grab the first one larry yeah actually let me uh let me ask ray to take the lead and i i, I can add because the athletics directors have been intricately involved as ray pointed out with a football working group including coaches and a uh, football directors of operations and others um, uh, thinking about this. So I think Ray is the best one to answer. Hey, hey Ralph. How you doing, man? Uh, yes, you, you uh, uh, are, are astute in your observation. Merton Hanks, you know, is uh, now our senior football person in uh, the Pac-12, and he's been working very closely with uh, the commissioner. And then certainly uh, we've got a football oversight committee 
member in, in Mark Harlan. So between those two, uh, we've been able to, you know, exhaust some scheduling uh, options. But uh, indeed, the seventh game for each team will include uh, everyone playing on championship uh, day. So you get that seventh game uh, guaranteed because uh, we, we want to be in the best position, very frankly, uh, to get ourselves in the CFP competition, uh, conversation, but also uh, bowl game consideration at the uh, very highest levels. And, you know, we want to play. So, yes, all the teams will be playing on championship uh, weekend. And the um, only other thing I, I'd add is, um, you know, student athletes' desires had a lot to do with this, which was communicated to us. They want as meaningful a season as possible. We know we're starting later uh, than some, but, you know, having the, as meaningful an opportunity as possible and being able to play that seventh game uh, before bowl season was, was important to our coaches and student athletes. And then, uh, Dr. Ackerman? Yeah, so to address the contact tracing, you know, clearly if you're testing daily, you will uh, be able to identify people who um, begin to have enough of the virus in them that they, they turn the test positive. And if you're doing that daily and you're doing that prior to them practicing or playing, you're able to remove them from that cohort um, before some of that spread can occur. Now, there's no question that contact tracing and really diligent contact tracing is still gonna have to occur, uh, especially outside of the athletic footprint. The hope is that if we can continue to test daily, that we can maybe mitigate the amount of spread and the amount of contact tracing. Um, you know, every health department is going to be a little bit different in how much they are going to um, stick to, to standard contact tracing going back 48 hours from a, pro, a positive test turning positive. But in, if you think about the fact that you'd be testing people every single day, you will be able to narrow the window where they started expressing enough of the virus to be at risk and potentially mitigate it. I, I think what is um, going to be interesting, and I think both us as well as another conference that's doing this daily testing is that we will be able to to really monitor and, and make sure that this truly works and likely could have significant impact um, for everyone across the country in the very near future as we as we get this experience over the next several months. We've got another question this one from Andy Staples. Go ahead Andy. This is for Larry. You said there was no uh no momentum or discussion to expand the playoff. Why aren't you leading that discussion? Your league's been off out three years in a row, and now you've got a situation where there's no non-conference games to, to help your cause, and you've got these basically stereotypes about the league that have, that have been in place based on last year when they select the playoff teams this year. Why aren't you the one leading that discussion to get the Pac-12 involved? So I think, as you know, there, there have been longer-term strategic discussions about that. We're, we're heavily involved in that. Uh, but ultimately, the format at CFP, Andy, is, um, is an agreement amongst the 10 conferences with, uh, with Notre Dame. So we have robust discussion about a lot of things, uh, short-term and long-term. Um, but uh, this is where we've, we've netted out. People are very comfortable and thought it was appropriate sticking to the current format that we have for this year, especially given so much uncertainty about uh, who's going to be able to play when and uh, uh, and all that. So it doesn't mean there isn't robust, healthy discussion behind the scenes about what we're going to do short term and long term. I can assure you that there is. 
Great. We've got another question from James Crepia of the Oregonian. Go ahead, James. Appreciate it. Uh, for President Schill, uh, seeing the Big Ten and your AAU colleagues there make the decision last week to start October 24th without the daily antigen testing details even worked out there yet, and the Mountain West also voting tonight or tomorrow, possibly for October 24th as well. Why is this conference behind its autonomous five and AAU peers and maybe even schools in the same footprint? So let me argue with your premise. I don't think we're behind. I think that we are, do, we are acting deliberately. We are acting in the students' best interests. We waited until we were able uh, to, if not ensure, to protect their health and safety. And compared to, uh, you mentioned the Big Ten, uh, the regulatory frameworks of the West Coast, as you know, are different. And, uh, and in the sense that a number of the, um, most, of, most if not all of the government entities uh, that the Big Ten was working under um, permitted uh, practice and permitted play, whereas two of our major uh, state governments did not. And so that all came clear uh, over the past week. And so I think once those barriers came down, once the daily antigen test became available, and all of this was related to everything, right? They're all, these are moving parts that are all um, meshing. Then it became apparent we could do this. And then we needed to spend a little bit of time to, in terms of consulting with our campuses. So uh, again, I, I just don't think that uh, the way that you phrased it is correct. I think that we are doing what we should be doing, doing it under a schedule that makes sense and is in the best interests of our students and our communities. Got another question. This one from Kyle Banagura of ESPN. Go ahead, Kyle. Hi, guys. Uh, looking for some clarification on the structure of the schedule. I'm assuming it's Everyone will play the five teams in their division in a crossover game, plus a to-be-determined opponent um, on the same day as the Pac-12 title game. Wondering if that's, one, if that's true, and then also will the crossover game count toward determining who plays for the uh, plays in the title game? It seems like if you don't include that, it could contribute to competitive equity. Thanks, Kyle. Um, yes, no, very, uh, very astute. You're following closely. You got it right. Um, the idea is that all the teams in the Pac-12 South play each other. Uh, all the teams in Pac-12 North play each other. So we will have um, and, and one crossover game. There'll be a South champion, North champion that compete in the Pac-12 championship game. The crossover game will count. This was something debated and discussed amongst our athletics directors, football coaches, felt it was very important for it to count, and uh, that's how we're moving forward. Uh, Ray, anything you'd add to the uh, deliberations on that? No, I think you hit it right on the head. Great, we've got another question, this one from Bruce Feldman. Go ahead, Bruce. Hi guys, this, I think this question's for Dr. Ackerman, but maybe for Ray as well. Um, 
when the when the tests the daily tests get to the universities i had heard that it wasn't just as simple as they arrive and then you can use them can you walk us through the process of what it takes and when uh each program you think will actually be up and running with the daily tests sure you're absolutely right it's not a uh you know a simple, simple process. You have to get the readers and you have to have some formal training and, and the people that are going to be running the test have to be signed off um, and, and and be cleared to run the test. And then, you know, there is some efficiencies to the, the process of testing it to try and get um, capacity through to get 120 or 140 tests done in a short period of time. So you're, you're absolutely right. And that's part of why um, we've been able to build in the fact that we've got the machines uh, on our campuses and we are undergoing the training process currently and we will be doing troubleshooting and making sure that we're doing the test correctly and accurately so that we can trust the results when we do get them. Great, we've got another question, this one from Bruce Pasco. Go ahead, Bruce. All right, this question's for, for Larry and maybe Ray also. I was wondering with basketball, unlike football where you have, you're playing just conference game basketball, you're, you're gonna now open it up where teams are playing non-conference games. And I'm wondering if there's any guidance as far as, are you gonna allow or, or encourage teams to play single games in non-conference or, or go to the MTEs they're already contracted in or, uh, or possibly there's some talk about maybe a bunch of teams from other conferences in the West go to Las Vegas and, and play a bunch of games in a pod. I mean, is there any of those possibilities you, you like or have recommended at this point? Thanks for the question, Bruce. Yeah, Ray and I can maybe tag team this. I think the answer to your question is yes, all the above is being considered. In fact, at six o'clock tonight, I'm hopping on a call with our basketball coaches uh, <laughs> who are in the process of, you know, debating uh, the number of conference games, uh, all the questions you just raised, MTs and all that. We will, um, uh, we're also waiting for the decision of the NCA Medical Advisory Committee and Board, and Dr. Ackerman is actually on that committee, to establish what the minimum testing standards are for non-conference opponents and MTEs, because we are committed to ensure that any non-conference competition uh, would be against teams that uphold the same testing standard uh, that, that we have, and that there are no compromises there. So there's still a few pieces uh, that need to get worked out. We will do so soon, uh, but I think uh, we're also in regular contact with our peers from the other conferences, the FBS, uh, the CCA, the A5, and I think we're kind of all in the same boat trying to answer those questions. So decision today was timely uh, in terms of trying to figure out the answer to those questions, how many non-conference games there'll be versus conference, and what the role is, if any, of MTEs in our schedule this year. Right. I really can't add anything to that, Larry, other than that yes is the answer to all those questions. And what I can tell you is our basketball coaches and ops people uh, are hustling around now trying to get in alignment with what is uh, uh, best. So we're just excited that they have that opportunity uh, to now really work those things out. Uh, and we're going to get up and play in some basketball. Great. We've got another question. This one from Josh Newman. Go ahead, Josh. Larry, was there any uh, talk or um, any kind of momentum towards letting letting teams that believe they're ready to play let having them play on Halloween if they thought they were ready? 
Hi, Josh. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for the question. So there, look, there were a lot of models that were discussed. I think at the end of the day, and this goes maybe you know to the earlier point that President Schill made. I think we were committed to make sure we had the full six weeks of ramp up time that was recommended by the football uh, oversight committee. Even though we've got some schools that you know have been working out up till now, I think the feeling was we wanted to make sure all teams before the first game had the opportunity for that recommended. A full six weeks. I think we've all seen injuries in the NFL, college football, um, you know, where maybe some of the processes and the preseasons were shortchanged and consistent with our commitment to health and safety. I think that was an important principle. I say the other important principle that was articulated uh, was moving forward together and avoiding competitive imbalance of certain teams uh, starting earlier, having a bye, others not. Come week two, uh, certain teams coming off of already having a game under their belt, other teams not. So it was really thoughtfully and carefully discussed because as President Chill mentioned, we've had different schools in different situations, uh, but there's a strong sense of unity in this league and moving forward together. President Chill, anything else you, know, you think we should add about the conversation? It got a lot of attention. I thought it was a very thoughtful conversation today. Yeah, we, no, we spent a lot of time talking about that, and we came to a decision that was supported by everybody. And it was, it was not, it ultimately was not a controversial issue. We all wanted to be together and be under the same uh, calendar. And, and as Larry said, um, we wanted to protect the well being of the students. We wanted anybody to sort of rush in uh, before the right time, and no one wanted to do that. And Larry, just to follow that up real quick, are you able to say in terms of basketball, um, what kind of scheduling models are on the table, whether it be 18 games or 20 games, are you able to say what is being discussed at this point? Um, yes, there was a wide range of options being, being discussed. I think most leagues, including ours, are uh, looking between 18 and 20. But some of that, Josh, is going to depend on wh where they ultimately net out on how many non-conference games they want to play, whether MTs or not. I think that will factor in. Everything's interrelated. Uh, but, you know, normally the range would be between 18 and 20 uh, as a league. But that assumes you've got a decent complement of non-conference games to, you know, to get to the permitted number of contests um, that the NCAA is allowing this year. So um, I think it's too early to narrow the options in terms of where we may wind up. There's a lot of variables still out there. Great. We've got another question. This one from Pete Demol. Go ahead, Pete. Larry, just a follow up to, uh, to to Andy's question on on the playoff. Obviously, uh, the financial crunch is very real right now, all around college athletics. And as you mentioned, the robust conversation about the playoff behind the scenes. Do you think finances and you know the dire situation, tens of millions of dollars on some campuses uh, that that they're enduring during this pandemic, could be a driver? Of that conversation. Um, thanks, Pete. I mean, I, all I can say is it hasn't been up till now. I guess I can't predict where the conversations go uh, forward, but I think up till now, you know, both nationally and in our conference, it's been very much a values-based uh, discussion. We, you know, we have a commitment and commitment to broadcast partners in terms of the format uh, of the playoff. And um, uh, generally, the college football playoff has met the objectives that everyone set for at the beginning has been a vast improvement over the prior uh, system. Um, so um, you know, we, we've got our own views about it that we express behind the scenes 
um, you know, in that robust discussion that I discussed, but money has not been a, a big driver. We know college football is hugely popular um, and, um, you know, either whether it's for our league or with my peers in the other conferences, um, that has not tipped the scales one way or another. Great, we've got time for one last question. Um, Matt Norlander, go ahead, you have the floor. All right, pardon the heresy, but I'm gonna invoke another basketball question on this call right here for Larry. Um, this wasn't specified in the release. I would presume that uh, programs can go forward with the understanding they can begin practices in earnest if local guidelines around, uh, allow for it on October 14, is that correct? Yes, our schools are permitted, Matt, thanks for the question, to um, uh, start, start practice according to the NCA uh, calendar and schedule, but I will underscore, as President Chill has, a subject to approval from their local uh, county and state uh, health approvals. But okay. as and we've indicated earlier in this call, all indications are quite positive in that regard. Okay, and then two quick follow-ups here. One, a lot of the basketball stuff has been asked, but um, it's my understanding most power conferences and plenty of uh, mid-majors uh, are in the planning stages to play at least one, if not two or more conference games in the month of December. I know you got to talk with your men's coaches here in a few minutes, but uh, you know there are backroom discussions. Is it your anticipation uh, that the Pac-12 will keep up with that? Because I'll remind you, last December, there was an official release sent out that the Pac-12 will be going to 20 games this season and, in fact, even included dates with those teams. So is that just merely a formality at this point and kind of getting ducks in a row? Should fans expect that league games will be happening in the Pac-12 in December? Well, long-term, nothing's changed, Matt, um, in terms of the long-term desire to go to 20 games. This is such an unusual year um, that uh, I think every, everything's on the table, including playing conference games in December. So I have been part of discussions uh, with our, our basketball experts and coaches where that, that's a possibility. But um, I wouldn't conflate long-term desire to go to a 20-game conference schedule with what our basketball folks think makes most sense in this very unusual year that we have, where there's still a lot of open-ended questions about the role of non-conference games and MTs.